dismiss the children for and with our team. They did a good job back there. Good job, guys. And, uh, yeah, good job. And um, thank you for making it out tonight. I know that tonight is a Wednesday night and not your normal Wednesday night. And hopefully that was a, a challenge to you. So many of those songs are just straight scripture, honestly. There's a lot of just or just straight truths from scripture. And... Um, and you'll and you'll you'll find that that ministers deeper, especially to those who are true believers in Christ and what God can do through that. So uh, it's a privilege. I love to be able to sit and listen to certain songs as they do these songs too. And my heart's always warmed. I love prepare to play. So every time I hear that song again, too, it just reminds me of God and His kindness and His love for us, preparing a place for us in heaven. Well, tonight, I hope that you've come tonight uh, looking forward to the Word as well in your own life. If you have your Bible, go to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in the pew in front of you. Uh, But Mark chapter 5. So we turn there. Um, So many people uh, through the years have asked questions about salvation to us. Obviously, what we do as... As preachers, I'm not just maybe any preacher. I would be a specialist in one sense. It's what we do all the time. It's the area of the gospel. And so we we are constantly battling for the sake of the gospel and preaching the gospel, challenging believers to live worthy. And so as an evangelist, that's, that is, that's my calling. That's what God has called me to do. And so I tell people too, listen, I'm not your pastor. And, um, and I said, sometimes evangelists are kind of different than pastors, aren't they? I said, we're, you know, we do blow in, we blow up and we blow out. And uh, that's our joke about, about evangelists. Um, sometimes I think through the years, Steve Pettit used to say it this way. He said, you know, a pastor is more like your uh, family physician. He's like the medical doctor who you can go to and call up and visit and, and, um, and they can assess you and help you on a consistent basis. He says, but I'm not like that. He says, I'm, I'm like a specialist. I, I think of myself as maybe a surgeon or a heart surgeon. He even said this. He said, you know, if you're going to do heart, open heart surgery, you better believe there's going to be some blood. <laughs> He said, but if it's done correctly, hopefully in the end, you're better for the process. And, um, and that is true, isn't it? And so it's our desire to co-labor with you and your ministry, and uh, especially when it comes to the sake of the gospel. When I think about Mark chapter 5, I love this story, true story of Jesus rescuing a man who was demon-possessed. We talk about the power of God, talk about the love of God going after somebody in um, their demon possession. And as you see this, I, I love verse 20. It's, it ends, uh, ends the story in verse 20 saying this, And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. People were amazed at this, uh, about what had happened to this man. This man got gloriously saved. Now, when I think about this, uh, my mind races back. I'll take you back a little bit in time. Uh, we were, uh, I was suffering for Jesus a number of summers. I would suffer for Jesus in Hawaii. And um, it's kind of evident now. See, now I've got this precancerous skin stuff that's going on right now. Where I'm having to get rid of that. Sorry, again, that you have to look at my face. Um, but when I think about this, I remember one time as we were hosting these soccer camps, we would, we'd have these for the purpose of evangelism. We realized that we would do the teen camp as well, kind of like how you guys would run a teen camp. Um, we would do this, but, but knowing that a lot of lost people sometimes wouldn't come to the teen camp, but they, they would come to a sports venue style of camp. And so we'd do that, but we told them, listen, we're going to preach the gospel every day. And so every day, right before lunch, we'd preach the gospel and, and uh, then right after lunch, what we do is bring them into smaller groups and just sit them down and just talk through the message, the gospel message, and um, and just powerful how the Lord would use it. And the rest was all soccer. And so they would kind of come every day for the soccer camp. 
And um, one of the guys who was a counselor and he's working underneath me, he came to me and he said, Jeremy, he said, I know we're supposed to do this question and answer time on salvation, uh, but I can't do that. And my first thought was, what are you talking about? Are you being lazy? You know, are you trying to get out of your job? You know, I, I, I really didn't know. I was thinking, what, what do you mean by that? And then he says this. He says, how can I lead a question and answer time on salvation if I'm not even saved myself? Well, again, this is a counselor. You know, out of all people, that should be a believer, should be the counselor, you know, and and it, I mean, it took me by surprise. I, I said, well, hold on, let's have somebody else take your group. And I said, let's go sit down and talk. So we sat down and, and we began to talk about this. And I remember asking him questions and he told me his story. And his story was honestly, was a really good story. Uh, he told me about how, how back in the day, because the truth is his father is a, is a known conference speaker. I mean, this, this guy is well known in our world. Probably if I were to say his name, many of you know who it is. Um, but it's interesting because as he said that my dad would go and he would be speaking at these conferences and someone came up to me at one of the conferences and said, you know, we're so glad that your parents are here and your dad's speaking for the conference and, and, um, and hey, tell us how you got saved. And he, um, hadn't been saved. But he began to tell a story. He basically told me uh, when he was home alone and um, at some point in it, I mean, he had me laughing through the story. I mean, it was like a very, he obviously had told the story many times. It was very good story as he's telling me. So I mean, I'm laughing at times. And then, and then he takes me to a point where supposedly at some point on his own, he cries out to the Lord to be saved and, and, um, and get saved. And then he looked at me and said this. He said, uh, that story is not true. He said, there was even a time in my life where I told that story so many times that I believed my own lie. But that never happened to me. And um, what, here's what's crazy. So I begin to take him to the scripture, okay? And I pointed to the scripture and I would look at a passage and every passage I took him to, he could quote. I mean, talk about, whoa. You know, he had all the mental knowledge. Maybe you can even say it this way. Maybe you've even seen those gospel tracts that say 18 inches from hell. And the idea is that a person has all the mental understanding, but it's never sunk down 18 inches into their heart, into the soul to really transform their life. And there's a lot of people in our world today that have a mental understanding of who Jesus is. And even the demons believe in Jesus and they tremble, but they're not going to heaven either. It's more than a mental understanding. It must sink down into the heart and the soul. And so as I'm, I'm sitting there with this guy, he, he finally says he, he wants to repent. He wants to trust in Christ. He, he begins to cry out to the Lord to be saved. And, and as far as I know, he, this guy got genuinely saved. We watched his life. Even for the next couple of weeks, we noticed a change in his, his spirit and his attitude. And everything about him was, was different. And I think through that, I, I've often come back from that story and many other times of dealing with people of salvation, asking the question, what is real salvation. And here's another good question that goes right along with it. Okay, if you've experienced real salvation, how do you know that you got it? That, that's another big one. And, um, and again, I think in our world today, uh, we've done a disservice. I think that we've gone to people and said, um, you know, oh, you're struggling with your salvation? Well, here, let me give you assurance. How do you do that? I mean, isn't, doesn't Romans tell us that it's his spirit that bears witness with our spirit, that we're a child of God? But it is interesting how sometimes we've just, it's almost like it's just like a, you know, we're just kind of putting them through a, uh, a system. It's, it's, it's almost like it's just a, and, and again, not every time is like, I'm just, I'm just saying it can happen. It can happen. 
So what is real salvation? This is what I want to answer tonight. I want to do this quickly as we go through the passage. And so let's ask God's help, okay? I think this can be a challenge for believers. And if you're here tonight without Christ, uh, there's no mistake that you're here. God's kindness has brought you here tonight that you could be saved. Let's pray tonight. Father, thank you so much again for the gospel. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would empower me now as I would proclaim the good news. Uh, thank you so much for the good news, and it is good news. Uh, Lord, tonight as we've heard and we as we hear Tonight, through the word, I pray that you would use your word to challenge believers to live worthy of that gospel, to be grateful for what you've done for them. Then, Lord, I also pray that you would also challenge those here tonight who are not believers, maybe who who have the mental knowledge of Jesus but have never sunk down into their heart yet. God, I pray that tonight you would do a miracle of miracles, Lord, and And they would be willing to humble themselves and turn to you alone to be saved. God, thank you for salvation. Thank you for your amazing grace. Uh, Do a work, Lord, that you can get glory for. God, thank you so much for all that you're going to do. Empower me now. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. As we look in Mark chapter 5, verse 1, let's start where the, where the story begins there. It says in verse 1, it says, And they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. Now, wait a second. Who is this? This is Jesus. This is the disciples. They're traveling. They're on a journey. And they go to the other side of the Lake of Galilee. I call it a lake because it's obviously, it is a lake. It's also called the Sea of Galilee. It's not real big. Actually, if you go visit it today, I think it's about, it's about 9 miles by 11, something like that. I mean, it's really, you can really on a clear day, I've been there where you can you can look across and you can see the other side and uh, it's really pretty amazing but here they are traveling across this going to the country of the Gadarenes it's this area of Gadara this place was a well-known place by the fishermen they would have understood this right away to be a to be an evil place to be a place in the, and, and this is what I mean by this it's a place where they would take the bodies of people and put them into a, a grave but the graves were not like what we think I mean we're talking about caved kind of a region we're talking about a dry region and they would many times place the bodies there but there were people that lived among the dead bodies and we're going to kind of meet them in just a second but as you think about this I mean who in their right mind would ever live like that and these were out, not just outcasts. There wasn't just one or two. There was, there was multiples of them. And the scriptures would tell us in parallel passages as we read about the story. But we see this from the very beginning, number one, about God and about real salvation. Number one is this. Real salvation begins when God pursues you. Now I say this and this isn't. This isn't weird. This isn't like wacko. This is just looking at salvation from a heavenly perspective, from a Godward perspective. And I say this because sometimes we only look at it as from a a man's perspective, like where we only say, well, I did this and I trusted Jesus and I got saved. Wait, 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 wait. Back up a little bit and think about what God has done to draw you to himself. I mean, think about God and his kindness. Now, I say this to say Jesus did not wake up early that morning and go, man, I'm so tired today. What should I do? Hmm. Yeah, let's go to Gadara. That sounds like a fun place to go. Nothing Jesus did was random. It was no, it was no just a mistake or, you know, some kind of a, ah, oh, sure, let's just do this. Everything he did was on divine command and order of God. And it was it just shows you the very love of God in pursuit of mankind, of sinful mankind to rescue them. That is amazing. Let me remind you of the heartbeat of God, how he says this, that he's not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. 
You think about that. That's just the kindness of God who, who loves people. And sometimes we forget this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's the love of God pursuing mankind. Now, when I say this, this shouldn't take us by surprise. Again, you back up to the garden, okay? And you think about Genesis and Genesis 3, you know, where mankind, it's like he's living in the perfect spot. He's everything. I mean, he's, he's the most brilliant person. Could you imagine having to have the job to name all the animals? I don't know if you realize there was no, there was no problems in the gene pool back then. I mean, he, brilliant of brilliance. He wasn't a caveman, you know. <laughs> you know, like everything we see, uh, you know, that, that's not, no, no, no. We're talking brilliance of brilliance, and he's naming the animal. I don't know how you could do that. You know, oh, that looks like a, a jellyfish, you know, <laughs> over there. That, oh, that's like a duck-billed platypus. Hey, look at that over there. That's like a, that's an elephant. I mean, could you imagine this? I mean, I'm like, I can't, I can barely name my own five kids' names. You know what I mean? And so you have the Lord, and, 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 and here he is, one command. And um, temptation occurs, and uh, Eve sins, and, and then uh, misery loves company, doesn't it? And, and doesn't want to be alone. She, she, she lures him in the same way. In other words, like, have you tried this? And, and he knew, and they both knew, and they both sinned. Death at that point occurs, doesn't it? It doesn't occur physically at that point, but spiritually, boom, it happens. And they were spiritually dead. Then anyone born from Adam and Eve ever since then have been born spiritually dead and need to come alive. And when you think through this, it's like you, you have Adam and Eve now who sin against God. And what do they do? They don't run to God and say, dear God, help us. We need you. You know what they do? They do the opposite. They run and they hide. Now, wait a second. How do you hide from a God who sees everything? You know, and God in his kindness pursues them. God says, where are you? Now, did God not know where they were? No, he knew exactly where they were. He wasn't up in heaven going, man, where are those people? Man, they're really good hiders. (laughs) Where do they go in the garden? I don't know. God knew exactly where they were and his whole point of confronting them and saying that was that they would be honest with themselves and they would come humble and broken before him. But here's God in his love pursuing mankind. Now, we know this to be true. Um, I think of John 6. I think about how the Bible says that, that really here we are. We, we need God pursuing us. I mean, the truth is, um, here it is, the Spirit of God draws a person to him. God in his kindness is drawing mankind to be rescued. The Bible teaches us stuff like this. It says that we love him because why? You did not love him first. You didn't. You were his enemy. God and his kindness can make his enemies his friends. That is radical love. We, that's not normal love. And you look at this and we see God in his pursuit. Now I say this to say, we know this to be true. I, I, I don't know how many different kinds of circumstances and stories I can think of through the years, but one that races to my mind was one years ago when we went up to the Northwest and we were, we were going through a town called Pasco, Washington. And, um, you know, it's not like Seattle and, uh, it's not green. It's like, you know, for me, or like we went there like, man, this is like New Mexico or something. I mean, it's kind of dry. It's just different. We're, we're in Pasco, Washington. I remember talking to the pastor. 
pastor and his assistant. I said, hey, are there any any uh, unsaved people at the church here this morning? I'm talking to them. And they said, well, back in the back over there. And uh, the assistant says, there's a friend of mine from high school. It's probably been, and the guy was probably in his late 20s. And so he says, it's been like 10 years or something. And I don't know how he came to the church here. I'm not sure why he's here, but I'm super excited. But unless something has happened to him, he's not saved. So I, I preach a gospel. So I finished preaching the gospel. Almost immediately, we give an invitation. Almost immediately, the guy responds and comes down to talk. And the pastor meets him. And the pastor says, why don't you talk uh, to my assistant? Well, that's awesome because then they get reacquainted as friends. And then and then his friend, he takes him to another room. And they begin to go through the gospel. And then this guy, he turns to Christ to be saved and trust in Christ. And then after he trusted Christ, his friend says to him, like, well, wait a second. How in the world did you find this church? How did you know to come here? And here's what his words were. He says, well... He says, honestly, I've been kind of searching lately and um, for things and answers, maybe you could say. He says, I visit churches, but it seems like all I get is fluff. And then he said, so at some point I stumbled across a website called sermonaudio.com. He goes, I, I listened to it. It sounded like this guy speaking. I think what he was saying was he was hearing a gospel message. And um, he says this. He says, I hear this um, at some point. This guy says, you need to go to a good Bible-believing church. He says, so I googled Bible-believing church, Pasco, Washington. And he came up with First Baptist Church of Pasco. And he shows up that morning to hear an evangelist preach a gospel message. And he gets saved. And I just look at you and say this. Man can't orchestrate that. I mean, you might say, well, okay, I'm, I'm here tonight. I'm not, I've not been saved yet. Can I just tell you something? There is no mistake that you're here. That is God's kindness and his love. You say, well, I've been going to church for years, you know, and, and maybe you've never come to Christ yet. Well, it's no mistake you're listening to this message. I say this because God in his love, he pursues us. We can all look back on it. Those who've been truly born from God, you can always look back on your life and I can see circumstances and situations and people orchestrating. Here's God orchestrating all the events for me to come to that point of brokenness to say, I need Jesus to save me. That's God. And so salvation begins when God pursues you. That's how it always starts. God in his love pursuing mankind with the gospel. I meet people, they say stuff like this. One lady, as I, as we were passing through an area, I think it was in Arizona at one point, I remember, um, you know, it was like a, like a, um, like a RV kind of a park that we were, as we were passing through. So I, I paid, I was paying, and she says, so what do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm a preacher. And she goes, oh. I mean, she like really reacted. And I, and I said, what? And she says, man, it's like, I don't know what it is. She says, I was just, like I had a relative that died just recently and I, you know, I, I, I'm on this plane flight and, and everyone that sat all around me, they were all preachers. <laughs> I'm laughing. I'm thinking <laughs> they're probably going to a conference or something. You know what I mean? Uh, but it's like she's being bombarded with the gospel everywhere. She, she keeps saying, I keep hearing this. And I said, I know what's going on. That's not weird. This is God and his kindness. He's pursuing you because he wants to save you. True salvation, real salvation begins when God pursues you. But number two, real salvation can only happen when you come to grips with your sin. Think about this for just a moment because so many people do not want to come to grips with sin. 
And you start looking at this guy and his sinful life. And again, sometimes we look at it and go, oh, that's not me. But wait a second. Look at his life closely. It says in verse 2, it says, And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. So he was demon-possessed, or you could say he was demon demonized. He had his dwelling among the tombs. Now, who would do that? I mean, I, I mean, graveyards, I don't mind during the day. But I'm not like one to go on my own at night to go visit some graveyard with some fog kind of rolling in. A little cat goes, and I'm like, ah, I'm out of here. (laughs) Doing ninja moves on the graves, you know. I'm like, and here's a person who lives among the dead bodies. That's not normal. He's a madman, you could say. Then it says no one could bind him, not even with chains. Because they had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, shackles broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. Now, let me ask you a question. Why in the world would you shackle up a person? Why would you chain up a person? Or maybe I would ask you this. Why would you chain up, let's say, a lion? Why don't we just have petting zoos, you know, and you get in there with lions and tigers and bears and then everyone's going, oh my, you know, what I mean? but you go like, why don't, you know, oh, look at the lion, <laughs> you know, that's not smart. Okay. We don't do that. We don't. We chain them up. We put them in a real big cage. And why would you chain up a person? Here's a person who is so mean that people would try to chain him up to try to restrain him because he would hurt people. And then he would, with the power of the demons, he would, he would break chains and lash out after people. I mean, everything about this would be the most frightening thing. And, the, and, the, and the, many of those disciples, remember what they were? Many of them were fishermen. And many of them were reminded of this. They would have known the, the Lake of Galilee very, very well. The natural response would be, as they came to that area, it's like, Jesus, what are you doing? This is not the best. This is the wrong side of the tracks. The wrong side of the lake. The wrong spot. Hey, let's move the boat down a little, actually a couple miles. I mean, everything about this, but see, as he gets there, here's this, here's this person, and he breaks chains, and then I love it at the end, it says this, neither could any man tame him. Nobody could restrain him. Nobody. Except for Jesus Christ. This just shows you the power of Christ to save even the worst and the hardest of people. Now, wait a second. You go further. He's a madman. Yes, he's a mean man. Verse verse 5. And always night and day, he's in the mountains. He's in the tombs. He is crying out and he is cutting himself with stones. What is he doing? Literally, he's shrieking. He's screaming out. And he's taking sharp flint kind of rock and he's raking it against his skin and blood's coming out. I mean, to think, why would you do this? Who would take rock? And who would do this? And I would wait and say, stop, stop, stop. Wait a second. Actually, people in Eugene do the same thing. It's actually called cutting. It's a sharp object of some sort they're going to use. It's Typically, it's not like for the purpose of committing suicide. But their, but their life is in shambles. Things are hurting all throughout them. You know, when you think about this, it's like, here's a person who, who is they're hurting. Well, they hurt themselves they can control something they they want control and their life's not in control so they take a sharp object they begin to scrape it across their skin in one sense mentally i i can control this hurt 
There's a sense of maybe even a high that they would get through that. But the truth is, is it just shows the pain and agony of their own hurts in their own life. And they have no control and they want control really bad, but they can't. Really, ultimately, what it is is pride and rebellion because the truth is they should be looking to God, but they're not looking to God. They're looking to themselves. They will fix this problem. You think through our world. And can I remind you a rule of counseling? Here's a, here's a helpful tip as you counsel people. Think about this. Hurting people hurt people. Why do people blow up? And, and why do people curse you out? And What's going on down here? Hurting people, they hurt people. Truth is, is we should actually have compassion towards those people. Dear God, save them. Dear God, work in their lives. But so often we just get angry back. But you look at this and here's Jesus as he sees them. Okay, here's this man. Now, wait a second. I think the first response is going, well, I'm not like that. I mean, okay, again, you know, who cuts themselves? Miserable people will do that. Okay, so I'm not cutting myself, Jeremy. And, and, um, honestly, you know, I'm, 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 no one's, no one's chaining me up. You know, no one's giving me that little nice white jacket, you know, where I can hug myself all the time in a padded room, you know, uh, nothing like that's happening, you know, (laughs) at least not anytime soon. And, 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 you know, and I don't, I mean, I not had the best place to live but I don't live in a graveyard. I think that's the tendency. We kind of look at this and kind of distance ourselves from this guy. But wait a second. This guy had the same problem, has the same problem you and I have. It's a three-letter word called sin. He had a sin problem. He needed to be rescued from his sins. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you ever sin? How do you sin? You know, if you're sitting there going, no, I don't really think I do. <laughs> then maybe you should ask the person sitting beside you, do I ever sin? And they're going to look at you and go, oh, yeah. Um, a little kid responded some years ago. This is in a children's program. It was right kind of near the end. I think it was a Sunday morning. About eight years old. I um, talking to this kid. Uh, he said he'd like to um, get saved. I said, oh, that's great. I sat, I sat down with him and I... Um, took the Bible and so kind of started off in like Romans 3.23, you know, something like that. I took him to the Bible and said, you know, here's what it says. It's for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. I, I said, have you ever sinned before? And he looked at me and goes, nope. So I'm trying to help him understand it. Okay, so I'm like, you know, it's, well, sin is when you break God's laws or sin is anything you can think or say or do that displeases God. I'm trying to give him some definitions. Let me give you even a better one. I told him, I said, so it's like this. It's like lying. <laughs> I'm thinking because he just lied to me. Um, it's like lying. Um, it's, you know, where where you intentionally deceive somebody else. You don't tell the full truth, you know. Uh, and I said, have you ever lied to anybody? The Bible tells you you're supposed to never bear false witness, which means you're supposed to always tell the truth, not lie. Have you ever lied before? And he said, no. <laughs> you know what I'm thinking? <laughs> Liar! <laughs> I didn't say that to him. I just said, oh, okay. Well, I said, are your parents here? He said, my mom is here. And I said, if I were to ask your mom if you've ever told a lie, what would she say? And he goes, um, maybe one. I'm really thinking liar. <laughs> Try to figure another easy one that I could maybe talk to him about. I said, you know, the one, one of them, the Bible says that you should never dishonor or disobey your parents. I said, have you ever 
disobeyed your parents? And he said, no, I don't think so. I said, where's your dad? He said, well, he's in Iraq. I said, well, if I were to ask him when he comes home, if you've ever disobeyed him, what would he say? And he said, ah, maybe a little. I said, hey, buddy, I just want you to know something. Um, Just because of your age and stage, I know that you would have disobeyed your parents far more than just a little. And even since we sat down here and had some conversation, you've lied to me multiple times. Um, I looked at him and I said, you are a liar. And uh, because of the time, I had no time to really go any beyond that in counseling. Um, I left him that way in the sense of his parents came and her mom came. And You said, well, what? What? Well, here's here's the point. How am I supposed to um, take him to a point of salvation if he doesn't even know he's a sinner? Let me ask you a question. What are you being saved from? Have you ever thought through this? I mean, I say this because what happens is here's a kid, maybe in all, you know, you know, they, they, kids are pleasers. I've learned this a long time. Kids naturally will please adults and stuff too. And maybe here's a grandma or here's a, here's a parent that says, oh, you know, I love you so much and stuff too. And you need to get saved. Oh, okay. And, and then, hey, just pray this. And I mean, do you realize I could have said to the kid, hey, buddy, just so you, here, do this. You want to get saved? Okay, good. Now just pray this after me. Now don't mess up on any of the prayer because (laughs) it's the prayer that saves. you know, let's pray. You know, no, no, it's not the prayer that saves. And I could have led him through a prayer. And you know what? I, he would have prayed. But he would have left as lost as can be because it's not the prayer. And he had no clue of his, even of his own sin. And so therefore, I look at you tonight and I'm just saying this. If you don't come to grips with your sin, you can't get saved. There must be a sense of a weight of sin where you realize I need to be rescued. I like his song, Rock of Ages. It's so clear because the, 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 the writer is saying, listen, I, I'm trying to take things before God, but I, there's nothing I can do to, to offer to God. It's like, it's like I, I, I just, I just need need him and it finally gets to the point where he's so struggling he's like even with all my tears no respite no peace i could know it's like you could be so zealous and have all types of tears but that doesn't save you it's not the tears that save you and he's saying this until finally that writer says in the book in in that in that hymn he says this he says wash me savior or i die and that was that point of brokenness and repentance where he's turned to the lord there's nothing i can do I'm clinging to you alone. I wonder, have you ever felt the weight of sin? Has there ever been a time in your life where you begin to examine your own heart and how sinful you are before God? Literally, it's almost like, I say this because I'll put weight on, on Nathan, okay? But it's like put, kind of putting weight on him. It's, it's, almost, it's almost like you, you begin to sense that spiritually, that weight on your life that you go, whoa, I need Jesus to save me. That's called conviction. That's God's love drawing you to himself. Without that, you don't feel it. There's no need to get saved. And if a person doesn't understand sin, they cannot get saved. And here's what's crazy. We live in a world that they're preaching less and less on sin. And so there's a dilemma here. And, I, and I'm amazed at this because you can finish off with America's pastor, you know, and, and where his sermon, he, as he finishes preaching this sermon, it's like at the very end. Have you ever heard this? They, they pray the sinner's prayer. Everybody does. The whole congregation, 60,000 people are watching this, not hearing any kind of clear gospel message at all, and then they all pray, Dear, you know, come into my heart and save me. Amen. They're all praying this. Think about this. Think how many confused people are out there. Yeah, I, I've gotten saved. I pray that every time. Every Sunday I pray that. 
No, no, no. Salvation, it's amazing. It begins with God pursuing you, but you must come under the weight of sin and the grips of this going, whoa, I need to be rescued from my sin. But then the third thing would be this. As you begin to see this, you must turn to Christ alone to be saved. Because apart from this, you could never be saved. There's no other way. That's why you look at the story here. It's really kind of amazing. In verse in verse. Six, it says this, and he saw Jesus from afar. Again, the demon possessed me and he ran and he worshiped him. Now, what's going on there? Whoa. I mean, could you imagine? Okay, I think this is a little bit of a comic relief. I say this because as you're thinking about this, here's the most feared, scary thing. It's it's the demon possessed guy. Okay, this guy breaks chains. They can kill people. They have supernatural powers. It's not their own. It's the demonic powers. I mean, everything about this, what would you do? I think if I saw him running my way, I would say, Jesus, here he comes. You got to stop him. I mean, either hide real close to Jesus or I'm going to say, Jesus, you're on your own. And then I'm running, you know what I mean? I mean, you can't defend yourself against this guy. There's nothing you could do. Supernatural powers. And yet Jesus isn't afraid. And this guy runs. He's running towards him and he drops in worship. This great reference. Again, I think two things. One would be this. The demons, they know who Jesus is. And they tremble over who he is. And yet here's a man needing to be rescued. Um, you look in verse 7. He cried out. Notice what he says. With a loud voice, and he says, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? See, he knows exactly who Jesus is. It's amazing how, how dumb we as people can be. Not knowing who Jesus is, but he knew exactly who he was. The demon, though, this is the one speaking. I implore you by God that you do not torment me. And he said unto him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. He's commanding the demon to come out of him. And then he asked him, what is that? What is your name? And that, have you ever, have you ever just considered this for a moment and just thought, that is really odd. It's like, you know, like, oh, like, I mean, everything about this. And then it's like, you know, come out of the man, though, unclean spirit, you know. And by the way, uh, what's your name? I'm not really not good with names here. I'm just curious what your name would be. Like, why would Jesus ask him his name? It just is odd. I mean, wouldn't he have known his name as the son of God? It's like, but the idea here is this is here's Jesus wanting to show his disciples his power, wanting to show you and me his power. And so he says, what is thy name? And notice the response. He answered, saying, my name is Legion for we notice the plural there for we are many. You know what a Roman Legion is a Roman Legion of the day. Six thousand soldiers. This guy didn't just have a demon or two in him. No, he was filled with many, many demons inside of him. My name is Legion and we are many. I mean, oh, talk about frightening. I mean, again, if you would have experienced this with the disciples, it literally would probably give you nightmares for months, if not years on end. Honestly, this is the most frightening, guttural voice coming out of this guy. Realizing this is not this guy. Maybe the head demon as the Legion speaking for all the demons. This guy's filled with many, many demons. And notice as he says this in verse 10, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a herd of swine was feeding where near the mountains and the demons begged him saying, send us into the swine that we may enter into them. (laughs) If we can't be in the people, put us in the pigs. Do you think that you think the devil cares anything for your soul? He's the master deceiver amazed at how much he's deceived our world. I think of a guy witnessing to in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, 
um, uh, late teens, hand him a gospel track, and he reaches into his pocket, and he pulls out a satanic track, and he says, Jesus isn't the answer, Satan is. I'm thinking, wow, I said to him, have you ever read the Bible? Do you know anything about the master deceiver? Jesus came to save. The devil came to destroy. You think about this. As he say, put us into the pigs. And then it says in verse 12. So as this happened there in verse 13, then at once Jesus gave them permission. The unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. They entered the pigs. Uh, and and um, and there were about 2,000. And they heard ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were drowned in the sea. You know what they say. They say, some theologians say they committed suicide. That's what they, right there. They went to hog heaven. I mean, there's all kinds of jokes. Deviled ham. Okay, you could you know, all kinds of stuff. Uh, swine flu. I've heard all these different ones through the years. Um. So all these pigs drowned. Some have said to me, well, Jeremy, don't you realize that Gentile people should never have been tending those, or Jewish people should never have been tending those pigs? Well, that's true, except for this is not a Jewish region. This is total Gentile. So, I mean, reality is this would have, would have, would have caused a major commotion, 2,000. And, um, and then you look in verse 14, they they who fed the swine, they fled. They told it in the city and in the country. They went out to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw that who had, the man who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now, wait a second here. Something happened to this guy. It, it's not just that the demons left him. Something radical happened to this guy. And, and it's like, whoa, he experienced something. Now, I will say this. As you think about salvation, you know, the, the maybe clear. You want clear from Jesus? Okay, take your Bible two pages probably before where you are in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. You want to know what the gospel is? You want to know what Jesus wants you to do? Here's his message as he preached it. He said in verse 14 that after that, John, the Baptist, he's, that's who it's talking about, was put in prison. Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. The word gospel means good news. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. It's like the very moment time. Here's King Jesus who's right here. The very kingdom of God is right there in front of them. And then he says this, because of this, repent and believe in the gospel. Um. Do you realize that that he's not the only one that said repent? Um, Peter and the apostles preached repentance. Paul preached repentance and faith. You, you look at this, and I say this to say it is belief. John never actually never uses the word repentance. Did you know in the book of John? Never. It's not ever even there. But interestingly enough, you see it because true belief. Will, will play out in repentant lifestyle. For someone who says they believe in Jesus and their lifestyle never shifts and nothing ever changes, I'm so sorry. The truth is the scripture has a lot to say against that person. Actually, the person who he lives a habitual life of sin, according to 1 John, the Bible says, no, they're a liar. The truth's not in them. Uh, you, you think about how you'll know them by their fruits. It's like the lifestyle would shift. There'd be something there that would happen. Again, remember again that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. In other words, there's this, there is a change of mind 
not just in the mind only, but it leads to a change of direction in life. When I think about this, I think about I think about First Thessalonians, where it talks about how these people they turned from their idols to serve the living and true God. I mean, you think about it, it's like they don't want this. No, they want Jesus to save them. They want God to save them. They, it, there's a sense of a, of a mentality where your mind is shit. No, I don't want this anymore. I don't want my sins. Jesus, rescue me. That's repentance. And, um, and real repentance, repentance brings about real change, actually, the scripture teaches us in the book of Corinthians. So a lifestyle that says, well, <laughs> I want Jesus to save me, but I'm not going to repent. Then that's not then you're not ready and I'm sorry. But when a person truly believes on Christ, they do repent, don't they? That's a lifestyle, isn't it? We live a lifestyle of repentance. Humbling, turning ourselves, turning to the Lord to be rescued. But you look at this guy and you, you see something happen, but here's what you don't see. You do not see this. You don't see him praying the sinner's prayer. <gasps> oh no. How can he be saved? He didn't pray the lucky rabbit's foot prayer. You know, I'm, ch- I'm, I'm kidding. You kind of start to catch my jokes a lot. Okay, so here, here's, here's what I'm saying by this. Okay, obviously a person cries out to the Lord to be saved. But isn't it interesting what the scripture would say? I mean, these verses you know that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What, what does that even mean? Well, it tells you actually in verse 9 of Romans 10, it tells you that if you would confess with your mouth literally the Lord Jesus or like most modern translations would say, Jesus is Lord. You're, you're saying, I'm, I'm no, I'm turning to him as my Lord and Savior. And you're, you're coming in and you, you say this. Why are you saying this? Again, if, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. In other words, we're understanding who Jesus is and what's happened with the gospel of his death, burial and resurrection. What does it say? Thou shalt be saved. It's a person who's, who is, yes, crying out to Jesus to be saved, but they have an understanding of who he is and they don't want their sin. No, they want to be rescued. That's the whole point. But how many people sometimes only want out of hell? But they really don't want Jesus. I want heaven. But don't give me Jesus. I mean, it's like, whew, he'll make my life change. So there's an element of going, okay, I, I don't want my sin. I want Jesus to save me. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever turned to Christ alone? Now, you know, interesting about, about this. This guy wasn't baptized either. He actually never went through confirmation. Did you know that? Sorry, that's really hard. He went, he did go to church. <laughs> I mean, he didn't do good works to save himself. You can't. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, as anyone should boast. I mean, the truth is, it's all about turning to Christ. It's like, no, embracing Christ for who he is. The sacrifice was complete. His death, burial, resurrection. You don't add to the sacrifice. You don't take away from the sacrifice. You just look to Christ alone. That's why Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life. That no man would come to the Father but by him. He's the only way. The Bible even says this, there's one mediator between God and man. It's the man Christ Jesus. The scripture also says this, there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. There's not many messiahs. There's one. And when you come to grips with who Jesus is, Lord willing, you humble yourself and trust in him as your Lord and Savior. Man, that is powerful. That's salvation. 
Now, we know this occurred. Okay, so I don't know if this happened to you. I hope so. If not, then tonight could be the greatest night of your life. But let me just real fast answer this question, okay? Because, okay, so we know what happened to him. How do we know? And how do we know we're even saved? Notice, notice what happened in verse 15. When they saw the man, so they saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion. And what is he doing? His life was different. He is sitting. He didn't sit before. He's seated at the feet of Jesus, and he didn't do this. Remember, they'd have to chain him up. But now here he is. He's sitting, and he is clothed. The parallel passage in Luke, what does it say about him? It says that that the man ran around naked. As a joke, I say he was a rude dude in a crude mood in the nude. I mean, the guy had some serious problems. But here he is, clothed, and he's in his right mind. And they're afraid. Why? Because his life changed and it brings conviction on their lives. Whoa, something's happened here. Something of God has happened. When a person gets truly born of God or saved, their life changes. It begins that change and doesn't stop there. Because the truth is, you start thinking about this, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature or a new creation. And the truth is, is that all things are passed away. Literally, all things are becoming new. I mean, there's a constant. So in other words, the Christian life demands change. If you're really in Christ, it didn't just happen. Well, yeah, well, you know, for 30 years ago, I got saved. Amen. You know, no, no, no. What is God doing now in your life as a Christian? Because he wants to continue to change you. He's not through with you yet. You're not in glory. So God is at work in changing a person. So the truth is, is there's that initial change and then there's a constant change as a true believer. Do you see this? Can you look at your own life and see the, the, the change since you've been saved and how there's a consistent change going on? I'm different from a year ago and from a year before that. Praise God. He's, he is changing me and man, I need it. Um. Not just as your life changes, but I would say your desires change too. Notice this. If you're truly saved, your life changes, your desires change. Verse 16 says, And then those who saw it told it how it befell to him who had been demon-possessed and, and about the swine. So they're talking about this. And they began to plead with him. They're talking to Jesus to depart from their region. You're kind of going, what? Are, are you guys Are you guys idiots? Like, seriously, what are you doing telling Jesus to leave? He's the one who can rescue you. And you're saying, your power scares us. Leave. Jesus. Now, I love this, though, because guess what? This is the heartbeat of mankind, um, where mankind is constantly rejecting. The Bible says that no man pursues him. They all go away. They all go astray. That's the normal course of mankind. But, you know, I think about later when they would come to this region again, full circle, there's a warm reception. I really believe it's due to this other man here and then the Lord working in the lives of people. But you look at this, they they tell him to leave, verse 18. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. Can you see, here's a man who's who's, who's sitting at the feet of Jesus, just listening to Jesus. Teach me more, I want to learn more, I want to grow. Okay, and now Jesus is starting to leave. What are you doing? Where are you going, Jesus? I'm not staying here, actually, I'm, I'm leaving. And what does he say? Can I go with you, please? Please, Jesus. I mean, think about this. This this man has just been gloriously saved. 
can I just go with you? I literally, I see tears coming out of the guy's face. Please, don't leave. Jesus actually tells him, no, you can't go with me. But I've got a job for you. Now, you, you look at this and say, okay, what a heart change. See, your life changes. If you're truly saved, your life changes and it keeps changing. Not only that, your heart or your desires change. Because now he's got this desire. He wants to be with Jesus. Isn't that normal for anyone who's truly saved? That's why it's amazing to me to find that people say, well, you know, they were, they were, you know, they used to be saved. Uh, but I mean, I remember when they got, I remember I was there. They prayed the prayer. But for some reason now they call themselves an atheist and they don't want to go to church anymore. I think they've just kind of fallen away a little bit. You know what a great picture of, of enduring faith? Job. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. True faith does fall down. Because a just man falls but rises up again. It falls down, but it doesn't ultimately fall away. And I think what we do is we just sometimes have this hope that, oh, no, well, they're just, oh, they meant it. I know they were seven. And, um, and I know they don't. You know what I pray for when I, when I see people's lives like that? Or they, they call themselves an atheist or they say, I don't want anything to ever do with the church. I say, dear God, save their soul. And Lord, again, that's, that's just wacko to find a Christian who says, man, I hate you, God, and I'm running from you, and I don't even believe in you anymore. True faith doesn't fall away, but it does fall down. And so we pray, dear God, save people. I mean, I, I give real salvation, real conversion. Your life changes, your desire. It's like a person who now wants to be in church. They want to be there. Why? They want to learn more. I mean, some of you are like going, that's awesome, you know, and whatever. And, uh, no, it's amazing. It's like we do. We want to grow. We want to learn. We read. It's like no one has to tell me to read. Did you know that my wife has never put me in a headlock and said, Jeremy, read your Bible? And I'm saying, Misha, stop. Ow. <laughs> this hurts really bad. Please stop, you know. No, because you didn't have to tell me to read my Bible because, because I do want to know God because God has done a work in my heart and my life and, and I just want to spend time with him. And that's how you do it. You open up the scriptures and you're saying, God, speak to me. God, work in me. That's normal for a true believer. An unbeliever, what do they do? A natural person who's not saved does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Neither can he or she know them because they're not spirit, because they're spiritually discerned. And without the Spirit of God in you, it's like a blank book. And you think the Bible's boring. And I would look at you and say, if you think the Bible's boring, can I just tell you something? The Bible is not boring. You are. The Bible is living. It's alive. It's powerful. And if it's, if you think the Bible's dull, it's because you're dull. It's not the scripture's fault. And so for a believer, there's new hungers and new desires. It's like, that's what God does with us. You, you know, I would say this as a Christian, you might have the desire to spend time with God, but you might not be fulfilling that desire. Does that ever happen? Man, I do need to be in the word. You see what I'm saying? There's a difference there. But you look at this and there's one last thing as he tells them to go, you know, he just says this in verse again, as you see, verse 19. However, Jesus, he did not permit him, but he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord had done for you and and how he's had compassion on you. So it's like, listen, I've got a job for you. You can't come with me, but here's your job. Go tell your friends, go tell people how I've been so merciful to you and had compassion towards you. And so the guy responds in obedience. 
Sounds like a believer, doesn't it? Uh, uh, He responds in obedience and faith and he wants to tell people. So what does he do? Verse 20, he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Now you say, okay, so he was a, he witnessed the people. No, 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 you don't get it. Because Decapolis is a league of 10 cities. This Wicked man meets the wonderful master and literally he does become a witnessing machine. He just, whoa, he just wants to tell people. Isn't this true of a real believer? And now sometimes we don't fulfill it either. Sometimes we're going, oh, I need to tell him, but I'm so scared. You know what I mean? We do that. But the truth is, I think any real believer say, no, I want to tell them. That, that's deep down here. And um, you look at this, and I will remind you, um, this man did not have a 13-week soul-winning course. I mean, could you imagine? Uh, I'm not really ready. I'm not like, I'm really not that grounded, so I can't tell people. No, you have a testimony. Share your testimony. That's that's a beginning spot. Is that what God has done for you? How He saved you? It's amazing how we can declare the gospel with people around us. Now, I say all this, and again, you might even be saying, so so why are you telling this to me? Because the truth is, I don't know how many times I've talked to people, and there are probably many of you in this room that probably made a profession at one point in time in your life, but you look back on it and go, man, that didn't happen to me. And then later, you got truly saved. That happened to my own dad. At the age of 26, and it transformed everything. He'd grown up in a Christian home. You know what? He could say all the right stuff, but he, he was he was not saved. And he knew he wasn't saved. That 26 got saved. Any of you have a testimony like that? Is there any of you that maybe maybe a little profession like that or something in your life before, but you look back on you and you went, man, that didn't happen to me at all. And then I got saved later. Is there any of you in this room that are like this? Yeah. there's Because yeah. that can happen. And so maybe, maybe again, as I think that, my, my desire tonight would be not that you would go, Am I not even saved? But the Bible does tell you to do this, to examine yourself to see if you be in the faith. So the question is, have you repented of your sins? Have you trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you trusting him today? For, uh, is your life, cha- has it changed? And is it still changing? Is, is God at work in you where your desires have shifted now? And, they, and, and hopefully you're getting a greater hunger and love for the Lord in your life. Are you seeking to obey him and actually share the gospel with other people? Again, that's a normal for a true believer, even though we fall so short, don't we? But aren't you so thankful for a loving God who tells us, you know what? If we go to him and we confess our sins, he's faithful. He's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what? Here's Christ who's so loving. Here's God who's so loving. He's saying, listen, let me pick you up. Let me dust you off. Let me get you back on track. That's why would he do this? Only because he loves us so much. Um, tonight, if you have not trusted in Christ, I would invite you in just a moment to respond to the things of the Lord. That takes humility. You might say, well, God can't save me. Oh, really? He saved a man who had thousands of demons in him. I think he can save you. God loves you. Let him save you. Let's pray tonight. Father, we thank you for the truth. Thank you for the gospel in song. And God, even tonight, as we've heard this, I pray that uh, if there's somebody here tonight without Jesus Christ, tonight would be the night they humble themselves, turning to you alone and trusting in you to be saved. 
not trusting in an experience or a prayer or maybe just that someone told them that one day they did, but actually looking to Christ alone. God, thank you that you save. With our heads bowed or eyes closed tonight, I wonder who would say, Jeremy, there's been a time in my life where I, I look back and I see God pursuing me. And I came to grips with my sin. I really did. I, I began to feel the weight of conviction. I knew I needed to be saved. And then as I begin to understand who Jesus is and what he's done, I turned from my sin to Christ. And I trusted in Christ to save me. And he's, he's, he's washed me. He has changed me. My life is different. It's like my, my desires have changed. My, my life has changed and it still is changing. I, I do want to obey him and follow him. I do want to share the gospel with people around me. Uh, Jeremy, when I look at this, my heart rejoices because by the grace of God, I've experienced real Bible salvation. How many tonight would slip your hand up to that? You'd say, Jeremy, that's happened to me. I've experienced real Bible salvation. And even the scripture tonight confirms that in my soul. I, Amen. Amen. Many of you, many of you. And you can put your hands down. Is there anyone though here tonight who would say, Jeremy, as I begin to look at the scripture tonight, my heart is being convicted and challenged. And honestly, I, I wonder if I have been truly saved. Honestly, I look back and I'm thinking maybe maybe it hasn't happened to me yet. Uh, my life hasn't really changed, honestly. And and I don't really have those desires. And I, I'm really, <laughs> Jeremy, pray for me. I've never repented. I've never trusted in Christ as my Lord and Savior. I need to pray for me, please. And you'd be humble enough and honest enough to slip your hand up. Pray for me, Jeremy. I need Jesus to save me. I really do. Thank you. I appreciate that. Who else? There's been a couple. Who else would say, Jeremy, pray for me tonight? Because if I were to die tonight, I'm really not sure I'm saved. I just, I really do. Okay. Amen. And I think this is God tonight working in you. Do you realize this? That the Bible does say, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you can be saved. It is not the prayer that saves you. It is Jesus Christ. You must look to Christ alone to be saved. I would encourage you even tonight where you are, if God is stirring you and you know you need Jesus to save you, to cry out to him even right now. Would you? Would you pray to him and ask him to save you? As you humble yourself tonight, again, it's not the prayer that saves you, but again, maybe just say, dear Jesus, I know I am a sinner. I know it. I can't save myself. I need you to to save me. You died on the cross. You rose from the dead. You did it to save me. And I'm turning to you. I need you, Jesus. Please save me tonight. I'm trusting in you. Trusting in you. Is there anyone tonight who would say, Jeremy, I, um, I just prayed that from the heart and I didn't mean that. I'd just like you to know that, Jeremy. And by an upraised hand, I'd, I'd know that that would be you, that you'd say, Jeremy, tonight I, I just meant that in my heart and I just cried out to the Lord to save me. And he did that in my life. I just cried out to him. And you'd slip your hand up, but I know that, was, that would be you. Okay, amen. Amen. And can I encourage you, if you're here tonight and that hasn't happened to you yet, as we invite you, please respond. I'm actually going to, in just a moment, go to the very back of the room and just gonna let Pastor kind of finish the service off. And if, if you need Jesus, please uh, respond. You can come to the back back there, and I would love to, or take someone with the Bible to show you from the Scriptures what it means to be saved. And you know what, as Christians, I think some of us as Christians tonight, we're going, 
we're saying there's some things in my heart that need to change. <laughs> I think as we hear this, we're saying, you know, God, I ch- change my desires or I want to fulfill those desires. I want to spend time with you. I really do. Like this man, I, I want to walk with you daily. And God, I, it's like I want to obey you. I, I want to I share the gospel. Help me. Empower me. Help me not to live in fear, but to live in faith, uh, proclaiming the good news to people. With their heads bowed, our eyes closed, I'll have a stand to our feet tonight. And thank you so much for listening well tonight. I appreciate that. I'm going to turn it over to Pastor, and, uh, and then we'll do an invitation tonight as my wife begins to play. If you'd like to respond, then you can. Would you stand to your feet tonight? We'll just keep our heads bowed for a moment. And Jeremy goes to the back, a very clear presentation. And tonight, to those who know, you know, you know. Because what he said tonight has happened to you. Those are realities. And so tonight, if you've asked Christ to come in your heart, we rejoice with you. You will experience a change because God will change you. I had no idea what he would do, but he did it because he loves us. We have a God who pursues us. If there are any in here that would like to go to the back to have counsel or to pray with someone We'd like you to go right now. There might be some right now that God convicted your heart about telling people about Jesus Christ because there's people just like this maniac of Gadara who need the Lord and that God might speak to your hearts and help you to come. Why don't we just right now and ask God to strengthen our hearts and our souls to tell people about Jesus Christ. We have the greatest life in the world. We have Christ in our hearts. So tonight, I want you to be honest with yourself. If you don't know that you know, why don't you right now go to the back before the service is over and let someone tell you and share with you more in the Scriptures or answer any questions that you might have. Or tonight, you did ask the Lord to come in your heart and you said, I'd like to have someone just talk with me a little bit more. I encourage you to go right now. The Bible says that His Spirit will not always strive with man. And if tonight God has showed you your need of a Savior, I beg of you, do not leave the service tonight without calling upon Him to be your Savior. Because God, in His love of pursuing you, is giving you an opportunity to come to know the Creator of the universe. Don't reject that. And so I want to encourage you tonight in that. Will you come to know Christ this evening? I cannot understand why anybody would try to convince themselves of something to be real if it is not real and the destiny of eternity is at stake. Make sure it's real tonight. If you're glad that it's real tonight, say amen. Father, as we conclude this service tonight, we continue to ask you to work in every heart and life that's here. Lord, my life has just been challenged tonight about being more bold in my witness. And Lord, we've got so much to rejoice in, so much to praise the Lord in, so much to be thankful for. This world needs to see genuine, born-again believers. Help us to be lights in this world to share our faith. And, O oh, Father, as we think and conclude this service tonight, we think about tomorrow night, where there'll be scores of teenagers in here and many of them who do not know Jesus as their Savior. Help us as a church to be part of being willing to witness to them 
and help us as a church to pray for tomorrow night's service so souls might come into the kingdom. And we'll praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. I think the teenagers are meeting here at 530 tomorrow night. And so would you begin praying and making sure those events will take place for God's glory. You are dismissed.